This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. and welcome to Critical Point, brought to you by Millman. I'm Stephanie Peterson, a Principal and Consulting Health Actuary in Millman's Health and Group Benefits Practice, and I'll be your host today. In this episode of Critical Point, we're going to be talking about the end of the COVID-19 public health emergency and what this means for health and welfare plan sponsors. Given Millman's involvement in the health and welfare space and planned communications, we have a unique perspective on this topic. In fact, We just conducted one of our pulse surveys on benefit trends to see how plans are reacting to the end of the federal emergencies. And we have found some very interesting insights. So to to discuss the survey results and the termination of the public health emergency and national emergency, I want to introduce three of my Millman colleagues here with me today, Marcella Georgiou, Anna Morgan, and Amanda Burkhardt. Marcella is a principal and consulting actuary She'll provide her insight from a multi-employer plan sponsor perspective. Hello. Anna is a consulting actuary located in Atlanta, and she'll be providing insight from the commercial plan perspective. Welcome. And finally, Amanda is a communications consultant based in the West, and she'll address what plan sponsors may need to communicate with their members in light of these changes. Hi, thanks for having me. And I should say that this is an evolving topic. We are recording on April 5th of 2023, and we expect that more guidance and clarification will come out between today and May 11th, when the health emergencies are currently scheduled to end. So let's begin with the issue of continuing coverage of COVID-19 testing. And Anna, I'm going to ask you first. From your perspective, are plan sponsors continuing to pay for testing coverage? And what are your clients doing and what are you hearing? Great, Stephanie. That's a great question. I think we look at this in two different ways. One is what are plan sponsors going to do going forward with at-home COVID testing? And two, how are they going to cover the COVID testing in the doctor's office? So first, with the at-home COVID testing, this has been covered at 100%. Majority of, of clients are looking to go back to pre-COVID ways, basically saying that they're not going to cover this going forward. The IRS is considering COVID tests as eligible expenses reimbursable under HSAs and FSAs. So therefore, employers will not cover the COVID tests and instead the members would need to be notified that they can get reimbursed under the FSA or HSA. We do see that many pharmacy plans are recommending that this be discontinued coverage through the pharmacy. Um, for a number of reasons, particularly administration. However, we do see that the government is encouraging plan sponsors to continue to provide coverage for at-home COVID tests. When we talk about the COVID testing in the doctor's office, um, we do see that majority of employers are going to revert back to COVID ways, where basically this would be covered under a lab test and it would be covered under in-network and potentially out of network, depending upon how the plan covers it today. So again, this is just some viewpoints based on what we're hearing from some of my clients. 
Um, I'd like to turn it over to Marcella to, to see if she has anything additional from her clients. So I can take it from the multi-employer plans perspective. Um, I'll start with over-the-counter testing, uh, similar to Anna. I think what we're seeing here is, is a little bit of a mixed bag. So some some clients have, have decided to stop covering over-the-counter tests once the uh, public health emergency ends. Other clients have decided to still offer it. I think they're balancing the financial impact to uh, the fund of covering the test. Um, and the way they're approaching it is they're, they're considering the cost of a member actually going to the doctor and having, uh, needing a COVID test, right? So obviously the price of that is higher than if they just went and, and bought an over the counter test from the pharmacy and took that. So really some plan sponsors are looking at it as more cost effective to cover it over the counter. Um, I think that decision really depends on. Uh, the group, you know, what, what industry uh, your employees are working in, and then also just, you know, how, how much experience you've seen in terms of how much spend is uh, on over-the-counter versus uh, in, at, at the doctor's office. I, I think we're also seeing that, you know, PBMs are, are encouraging plans uh, to just go back to not covering the over-the-counter test, although they're allowing uh, you to do something custom if if you would prefer. On the in-office testing, we are seeing more plans just go revert back to covering in-office testing uh, at the plan's cost sharing. So, you know, whatever a lab would cost in the plan, the plan sponsor would revert back to that that cost sharing for the member. And again, I think it's weighing the financial impact of that against what your members need. Marcella, I will add to that. I think it was a good point. You know, we have been tracking for many clients the actual spend of these at-home COVID tests, and they have been much smaller than anticipated. Either members are just paying for it themselves and not getting reimbursed, um, or they're having issues at the pharmacy, or they've basically gotten some of their at-home COVID tests through the government itself. So I wouldn't anticipate a significant member disruption should you decide to end coverage of the at-home COVID tests. Yeah, I would agree agree with that. We're 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 also not seeing that on the multi-employer side. The the post results show that uh, around fifty percent of employers who rep- responded to the survey have decided not to continue coverage for COVID tests at no cost sharing. Of that 50%, around 21% have decided to at least provide over-the-counter uh, coverage. I think that's consistent, Anna, right, with, with what we're, we're kind of seeing uh, in terms of having a mix of, of decisions depending on where the plans are financially and, and what, what their uh, employees or members need. Right, exactly. This is great, team. I mean, uh... I think there, what I, what I hear is then that, you know, while there are uh, a lot of employer, uh, and, and plan sponsors, um, considering moving and, um, keeping or, uh, terminating the COVID testing that, um, it's really kind of a, like you were saying, uh, Marcella, a mixed bag, kind of a 50 50. Um, if you decide you want to continue with the coverage, it doesn't seem like the cost is all that, um, impeding for many plan sponsors. But at the same time, if you decide you want to, terminate the COVID testing going forward, that the uh, disruption is at a minimum. But to your point, it's it's very much a 
uh, an employer uh, or plan sponsor decision that needs to be made on that takes into account their employee population and their needs. Now I'm going to switch it up to Marcella and uh, to go first. And uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about the COVID vaccination requirement um, that all that did come along with the public health emergency. Um, and we're going to go ahead and, and understand, well, Marcella, how are your clients handling the requirement of continued coverage of COVID of the COVID-19 vaccination? And what sorts of things should plan sponsors be considering? Sure. So, you know, I think here the 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 requirement of continued coverage of COVID-19 vaccinations is required in network. And then the plan and plan sponsors have the decision on whether or not they want to provide the coverage out of network. What we're seeing again here is a mixed bag, although I, I think most of my clients are leaning towards just providing the coverage in network consistent with the way that they cover other, other vaccinations. I think in terms of cost sharing, obviously, because it's a preventative service, all plans would need to cover it uh, if you're non-grandfathered at $0 cost sharing. What we see, saw in the Pulse survey results is that's consistent. About 40% of the employers who responded said they would not limit it to in-network, while 20% said they will. So again, a mixed bag. And I, I and I think here, again, you just, you have to think about the financials of the plan uh, versus your your member base. And, and for, for some industries, it might be more important, right, to make sure that members are, are getting their preventative vaccines and that they have access to it, you know, in network and out of network versus uh, other industries. Anna, would you mind giving us a, a, a perspective from the commercial uh, plan space? Sure. I mean, we do envision that these COVID vaccines will be similar to how we look at the flu vaccines. Um, so basically how your plan design covers it in network versus out of network, it could be an idea to make sure those are mirrored. If you do decide to make a change and cover out of network, you may need to change your SPD, um, make some additional revisions to your plan design. So please do make sure to keep that in mind. The other thing about the vaccines is up to um, this point, plan administrators have been paying the administration fee of the vaccine and not the serum. So you've been paying about a $40 fee for the vaccine. Um, once the emergency ends, or actually once the vaccine coverage um, basically runs out, the uh, employers will now have to pay the full costs. And so what we're seeing as of today is that Moderna is estimating the vaccine to cost about $130, whereas Pfizer is estimating about $115 for an adult dose um, that does decrease based on your age, uh, linearly based on your doses and information. So we would want to make sure that your financials do take that into account as well. Very, very good point. I know that uh, that'll be a top of mind for many employers as they're projecting costs going forward this year and then also the upcoming plan years. So I'm going to switch it over because another piece that's uh, it's, uh, almost as important as the actual costs and uh, regulations is also the communication side of things. And so, Amanda, there's a lot of changes coming up. And with all of these changes, how should plan sponsors think about communicating with their members? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we hear kind of in the grapevine people saying things like, 
well, we're going to stop covering tests over the counter and we don't want to draw attention to that. So we're not going to communicate or we're going to continue covering tests over the counter and we don't really want to draw attention to that either. So we're not going to communicate. And, and really the bottom line is you may not want to draw attention to what you're doing, but the end of this emergency is something that's out there in the news. It's something people are going to be hearing about and people might have questions. Uh, they might be wondering, can I still get my eight over-the-counter tests, even though that was something we've seen wasn't a highly used benefit in most places, they might be wondering what they can get and where they should get it. You know, And for your plan, it might be less expensive for them to get those over-the-counter tests than go into the doctor for it. Um, so at the very minimum, we really recommend that plans make sure they have at least an internal communication plan in place. Um, make sure the people who are going to be answering those questions and answering the phones know what the answer is. So your HR folks, your benefit administrators, um, make sure if someone calls and says, hey, what's covered, they know what the changes are going to be or not. And also, you might get the question of why. Well, you're not going to cover it anymore. Why not? Make sure they're armed with something to respond to that kind of a question. You don't want to leave someone on the spot saying, well, I don't know why we changed it or we didn't want to spend the money or, you know, you want to make sure you have a, a planned message that's going to be shared and be consistent across the board. On the other side of the coin, if you really want to take advantage of this change as an opportunity to drive the kind of behaviors you want to see in your plan, this is a great chance to do that. You know, we talked about the vaccines and how most plans want to see people get their preventive vaccines, that it prevents costs down the road. And we want to see that happen. So this is a great chance to put out an email. Maybe if you have a newsletter, put it in there, have it be something that gets talked about to say preventive vaccines are important. Get your flu shot, get your COVID vaccine and kind of drive people where you want to see them do that. So if even if you're going to continue to cover it for out of network administration, we all know that usually the cheapest place to get it is the pharmacy because they're not necessarily charging that administration fee. So you can send out something that says, remember, here's our in-network pharmacies where you can go get your preventive vaccines, including COVID at no cost. You know, it's it's a good chance to put out that kind of communication. And and then again, and I'll I'll probably say it over, but always remember, check with your legal folks. If you're making any kind of substantial plan change, you need to make sure that you're putting out the right kind of communications and making sure you're you're meeting those uh, legal expectations for what communications need to go out and when. That's great. Yeah, that's always a good perspective. Employees aren't necessarily and, and, and uh, participants aren't always in the weeds like we are in healthcare. So it's ultimately up to us to help us help guide them in a way that makes the most sense. Right. So, team, this has been great. And uh, we've highlighted a lot of the main components already. Um, however, you know, there are always things that we should be considering that maybe we haven't mentioned already. So are there items that plan sponsors are not considering currently that maybe should be? I think, you know, one of the things that came through on the Pulse survey results is that some employers have not made a decision yet. I think it's important to think through uh, and take your time with making a decision around what you do at the end of the public health emergency and the national emergency. But it's also important to make that decision uh, in advance of it. And we got at it a little bit. Amanda talked through, you know, the communications and thinking through what you need to do there. 
uh, for your employees and members, both legally and just in terms of communicating the right message. But also it's important in terms of making sure that you're meeting other rules and regulations that impact this. And that includes mental health parity. During the public health emergency, the rules around mental health parity and covering COVID-19 tests were waived. But now that the public health emergency is ending, plans will need to make sure that they are providing medical benefits consistent with their mental health benefits, even with regards to COVID-19 tests. So if you decide to do something different in the plan for recovering COVID-19 tests, that looks different from, you know, what would, what you would, for example, uh, cover uh, a lab test. Uh, you need to take that into account and in making sure that you meet mental health parity requirements. So it's it's definitely important that you think through your decisions now in advance of the end of the public health emergency. The other thing I just wanted to bring up is that we talked a lot about the public health emergency, but the national emergency is also ending. And this impacts some of the deadline extensions that were implemented during the national emergencies around things like COBRA deadlines, uh, for example. Anna, did you want to take that a little bit? Sure. Um, actually, there was an FAQ that was sent out on March 29th, which was um, very valuable that basically provided a lot of examples as to changes to deadlines and co COBRA notices, HIPAA notices. Um, we strongly recommend that you do review those, um, but also talk with your COBRA administrator to make sure that they're on board with the changes that will be taking place because there, there will be deadline changes. And so we just want to make sure that you're up to date with all of those. That's a great point. Amanda, would you like to comment anything on the communication side? Yeah, you know, one one other thing that uh, kind of came to mind when Marcella was talking was consistency. And that's really important for people to understand their plan. So if you're not making a change and COVID vaccine administration is going to be covered out of network, but flu vaccine administration is not, that's something people need to know about. When things are different, you don't want someone going out of network and getting this big unexpected charge for their flu vaccine when they got their COVID and flu at the same place. If you're making a change that might be seen as a reduction, like you're no longer covering over-the-counter tests for COVID, an easy message or an appropriate message for that can be, we're making it consistent with other coverages in our plan. We, we don't want it to be confusing. We want it to be easy for you to understand. So we're just, you know, kind of going with what's consistent. So that's that's an important thing when you're messaging for your plan members. That's great. And, and anything else, team, that you can think of? Yeah, so just a, a few additional items. Uh, one question that we asked in the Pulse survey was regarding standalone telehealth benefits. Less than 30% of the responders actually said that they do offer this, um, but the, we do know the guidance says that this will um, basically cease at the end of 1231-23. So if you do have a standalone telehealth benefit that will need to um, basically be terminated and you will need to provide 60-day notice to any employees that um, have a reduction of material benefits, basically. Um, also regarding telehealth, there has been um, some statutory relief regarding um, the HGHP with, with telehealth. So there's no changes that need to be made there until I believe the end of 1231-24. Great. 
Well, this has been very enlightening. And I, I thank you, all three of you, uh, Anna, Marcella, and Amanda, for joining us today. You can see more of our Millman's analysis of the COVID health emergency on our website at millman.com. And you can see the full results of our pulse survey at millman.com slash pulse hyphen survey. You've been listening to Critical Point presented by Millman. If you've enjoyed this episode, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your colleagues. We'll see you next time. 